heard a saying uh, this week for the first time. I never actually heard it before. Some of you might have heard it, but uh, this is the saying goes like this. Mixing religion and politics is like mixing ice cream and manure. Kind of gross. It doesn't do much for the manure, but it sure does ruin the ice cream. And I'm not sure in that context which is uh, meant to be the ice cream and which is meant to be the manure. And uh, when I think about this election campaign that's been going on, and when, uh, when I've talked to people and, you know, looked on, on social media, it really seems that people are very confused about, uh, about how to vote, who to vote, if they should vote. Um, I've talked to so many people who have said, you know what, there's just, like, no way that I could possibly vote for any of the parties, so I'm just not going to vote. There's other people who have said, I want to vote, but I have no clue who to vote for. I don't know about you, but for me, this particular election, there seems to be a lot more issues that muddy those waters between religion and politics. And I don't know why that is. I like to think it's because as I grow older, um, I become more uh, spiritually mature and more spiritually aware. But uh, then I had a second thought that it's probably, to be honest, more about the fact that this has been such a long, drawn-out campaign, the longest one in modern history in Canada. And as a result, there have been more time for us all to be hammered over the head by the issues that are at stake, to be hammered over the head by different party platforms, to be hammered over the head by which leaders we, want to, uh, we would like to see in power. So I just want to ask you, do you have any idea of how many political parties are actually registered in Canada that you could vote for? Eight? 23. There's 23 registered parties. There's 29 parties in total. I'll give you your prize later, Chris. <laughs> so there's the obvious. There's the Liberals. There's the Conservatives. There's the NDP and the Green Party. And uh, depending where you are, there's other parties like the Christian Heritage Party. And then there's... Um, and then there's the, uh, the third-party type parties, like the Rhinoceros Party, whose uh, main cam- or their, their main platform is they want to move the capital of Canada to Kapuskaping because it's the center of Canada. It's the geographical center of Canada. So if that's what you'd like to see happen, vote for Rhinoceros Party. There's the Marijuana Party. I don't think I need to tell you what their platform is. There's the Pirate Party. Not the har har matey pirate party. I actually had to look this up. They're, they're all about intellectual property rights. And then um, there's a party, there's actually a party called the Work Less Party. I didn't look them up, but I think the name probably tells you what they're all about. So we have all of these parties, and other than the main, you know, the main four or five parties, most of us probably aren't totally aware of what the, the, uh, the less popular parties are, are all about. And unless you've been following the campaigns for the past several months, and, or if you've been at all engaged in politics over, over the past year, if you have been, you're well aware of the, that a lot of those political issues that are being discussed uh, today are issues that cross the boundaries between religion and politics. A, bon- a boundary, I don't know about you, but it's a boundary that I've always been taught should never be crossed. You never mix politics and religion, which is weird, considering that Canada was actually founded on some very Christian principles way back when, which means that at some point in time, politicians and religious leaders actually had to agree on something. And in many circles, this is something that is still strongly appealed to. You have certain candidates and certain parties that pitch for the Christian popular vote. But what's strangely forgotten around election time is is the important detail that at the time of Christ... 
religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of the time, and political leaders, the Roman Empire, actually worked together for a common goal. And that common goal wasn't a campaign or, um, a, you know, it wasn't for the betterment of the people. They worked together to kill Jesus Christ. Just a minor detail for those of us who, who might love Jesus. And it's funny that during the whole political process, there are those who still appeal to Jesus' followers by showing off their quote-unquote uh, Christian credentials. So they try to pitch to the Christian uh, populace and get their vote by saying, you know, I'm Christian or I'm part of a Christian party. And yet I, I can think of a number of reasons why probably a lot of savvy politicians would want nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. First off, who, who would actually vote for the Jesus of the Bible? If you think about it, think of, of who Jesus was. Can you imagine a face-off between Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau and Thomas Mulcair and Elizabeth May and then Jesus at the table as well? Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is right, but if you think about all of the leaders through history in North America, you have leaders in Canada. We've had no leaders that have ever been part of a visual minority. We've had one female leader that was only, uh, only became prime minister because the prime minister at the time resigned before his term was up, and she uh, assumed the role. In the United States, they've never had a female commander-in-chief, and they've had one visual minority as president, Barack Obama. So you think about that, and you think if, uh, if Jesus were to run, you have a Middle Eastern man who's Jewish, who's a refugee, who is often involved in, in acts of civil and religious disobedience. <laughs> How do you think that would work itself out? And for those of you who are wondering, you know, that's a description of Jesus. It's not any of the other political party leaders who are running for prime minister today. Not to mention that, that on more than one account, he was, a, he was accused of partying way too hard. He was accused of hanging out with all the wrong people. And in case, again, you're forgotten, I'm not, I'm not talking about a former mayor of Toronto. I'm talking about Jesus. He was poor. He was often homeless. If you put all that, all that together, more than likely would we not only not vote for Jesus, we'd probably push to have him extradited, maybe as a, a, you know, a terrorist threat or as a security threat. Okay, so even if you could overlook all of those perceptions about Jesus, all of those things that people might have said about him. Um, who could vote for some of the platforms that, uh, that, that Christ might have put forward? Consider, if you consider the world situation right now, the, whole, the global situation in the world, can you imagine a foreign policy based on Luke 6.27? But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. That's what Christ instructed uh, his followers to do. Or could you imagine a social welfare program based on love your neighbor as yourself? Matthew 22 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christ clearly expects that of his followers. And what would happen to the already meager Canadian military if we went with Jesus' example and teachings of do not violently resist an evil 
person. Jesus says if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn your other cheek to them as well. Jesus clearly expects that his followers respond in a loving way and not a violent way. Even his followers back in the time when the Roman Empire lorded it over them and commanded them to do things that they might not have otherwise done and they oppressed them. What if real action on the, uh, on, on the environment was based on, on, for God so loved the world? Or we had a national refugee and immigration policy that was based on Jesus' words in Matthew 25, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do to me. Now, I know that a lot of you are probably thinking, okay, Mark, this is, you know, that's, of course, Jesus' ethics seem out there when you put it in the context of politics. Jesus' teachings were spiritual, not political. And I say, really? Is that really the case? Let me ask you, what is the difference? If you are a follower of Jesus, can you separate spiritual from physical? If you're a follower of Jesus, can you separate spiritual and financial or economic? Can you separate spiritual from mental, spiritual from emotional, spiritual from physical, or even spiritual from political? If you ask Jesus' followers in the early church, I'm sure the answer to that would be a resounding no. That's because the spirituality of the early church put Christ's policies and practices of selfless love into practice every single day. After the resurrection of Jesus, the early church organized around small communities, and and they organized around Jesus' example of nonviolent love that he showed them on the cross at Calvary. The same nonviolent love that conquered death. The ethics of the gospel is the ethic of selflessness. Every action that Jesus demonstrated was a commitment to selflessness. The opposite of self-centeredness. It's the act of putting others' needs ahead of one's own. It's, a, it's sacrificing of one's self for the good of another. Jesus said in, in John 15, Jesus said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And as followers of Jesus, that's the type of selfless love that we should strive for. But does that type of selfless love have a place in our involvement in the political process? Are there candidates and are there parties that would be influenced by that type of selfless love? Are voters influenced by that type of selfless love? Almost everything in politics comes back to economics, comes back to finances. If there were unlimited resources available, then major issues like health care and the environment and education and homelessness and poverty and uh, trade and energy would all be non-issues. All of those issues require enormous investments in financial investments. And so much of politics comes back to economics and to finances. And when we think as individual voters in terms of how our vote is going to be influenced, many times it comes back to those major issues and it's influenced not necessarily by what's good for the rest of the country, but what is going to be best for me as an individual voter. As a result, most voters are driven to the polls by their own self-interest. And 
if that is actually the case, I got to ask, is it possible for Christ's ethic of selflessness to have a part in our political system? As followers of Jesus, can we sleep at night knowing that we voted in a selfless way? And is that kind of selflessness even humanly possible? I'd say, no, it's not actually humanly possible. But it is possible for someone who follows Jesus' example of selflessness and who allows the Holy Spirit to influence their life day by day. If Christ was selfless, and he was, and if we are to model his life, and we are, then we should strive for selfless thoughts and actions and motivations and behaviors, even when it comes to politics and when it comes to voting. Will we ever be able to perfectly match Jesus' example? I, I doubt that we will. But we can always ask the age-old question, if Jesus were here, what would he do? Would Jesus vote? If Jesus voted, how would he vote? As followers of Jesus, our goal should be to seek first God's kingdom here on earth. And so we can ask ourselves, what would it look like if Jesus took charge of my town? or if he took charge of my county, or my province, or my country. And that's where we, as Jesus followers, get to imagine what our, when our dreams of the kingdom here on earth would look like. And we get some pretty clear images of that throughout Scripture. Jesus said, the poor are blessed, and the rich are sent away empty. The mighty are cast from their thrones. The lowly are lifted. The peacemakers and the meek are blessed. The proud-hearted are scattered. The first will be made last, and the last will be made first. As selfless followers of Jesus, when we vote, we need to consider whether the candidate or the party or the leader that we're voting for is committed to an ethic of selflessness. And of course, there's going to be no political party or leader who perfectly fits that bill. Politicians, by their very nature, are vote chasers. They're looking for whatever's the most popular with the populace. And we know that that is what's best for me. But we need to ask questions like, is there a candidate or is there a party that's committed to reducing poverty? Is there a candidate or a party that will stand by the sanctity of human life? Is there a candidate or a party that's going to do something meaningful for the environment that we've been given stewardship of? Is there a candidate or party that will change oppressive laws? Will they try to make sure that the vulnerable are cared for? Is there a party or a candidate whose taxation policies are going to just further benefit the wealthy? Or are their taxation policies going to help the less fortunate? And there's no one candidate that is ever going to have all of the answers to all of those questions perfectly right. And as a result, I think a lot of us sometimes feel like the people I talked about earlier who just don't know who to vote for, and so they turn away from their responsibility to vote. So some will simply choose not to vote. But I think as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility not only to vote, but to be involved in the political process beyond the vote. There are lots of passages in Scripture that talk about our responsibility to be involved in the political process. Romans 13 says that we're supposed to support our leaders. Why? Because they've been established by God. Jeremiah 29 says to seek the good of those around us and the nation 
as a whole. As individuals, it's a hard time for it's hard for us to seek the good of individuals as a whole, but we can have a voice in how that happens through our vote. First Timothy 2 says by praying that we should pray for our political leadership and we can have an influence in politics in that way. So tomorrow we have the opportunity to have a say who will lead this country for the next four years. And it's a significant responsibility. It's not a responsibility that should be taken lightly. And so as we prepare to vote, let us consider our own and our chosen candidates or our chosen party's commitment to selflessness. I have no desire whatsoever to influence who you might vote for. If there's 23 different political parties, there's 23 people sitting here today who could vote very differently based on the principles of selflessness, selflessness, based on what they see as the most important platforms to vote for. But what I do hope to influence is why you'll vote for one party or one candidate. And a couple of things that I think you should keep in mind as you vote is, one, don't vote for yourself. Your name's obviously not on the ballot, so you can't literally vote for yourself. That's obviously not what I mean. But let's follow Jesus' example as we go to vote. Make your vote count for the least, the lost, and the last. Consider how your vote would look if you were voting only out of your own best interest versus how it would look if you were voting for the best interest of the least, the last, and the lost. Voting according to Jesus' value system of caring for the vulnerable and the marginalized and voting for the common good. Secondly, I think that we should not confuse Christian with Christ-like. There are lots of candidates who are Christians. There are parties that they call themselves Christian this or that who are say they're, they're founded on Christian principles and values, but they don't live out Christ-like values, or their parties don't have policies based on Christ-like values. Think about it. Historically, the KKK said they were Christian. The whole slave movement at the time was based, uh, was considered a Christian political value. Remember, when Jesus was on earth, who were his greatest opponents? The religious leaders of the time. Make sure when you vote, you don't vote based on a label. Vote based on platforms and values that will bring about the greatest good and the greatest change to those who need it most. And finally, before you vote, take some time to pray about it. It's absolutely amazing the clarity that can come when we humbly submit ourselves before God. And on Tuesday morning, when all is said and done, regardless of who you vote for, regardless of who ends up being the leader of the country, remember this, voting is just one person saying one thing at one time on one particular day. That's how democracy works. We get our say for who will be in government for the next four years. So make sure you have your say. It does count. But don't silence yourself or your savior by outsourcing your power to politicians. Regardless of the results on Monday, we all still need to daily seek to live the politics of God's love, especially to the least, the lost, and the last on a daily basis. Governments can do lots of good things, but there are things that a government can never, ever do. Governments can pass good laws that can benefit people, but no law can change the human heart. 
Only God can change the human heart. And he might actually invite you into somebody's life to help, and do, help do that with him. A government can provide good housing, but a government can never make a house a home. It can't instill love in a home that makes that a home. A government can provide a health care system that will sustain life, and it will even lengthen life for some people. But that doesn't make people truly alive. Only God makes people truly alive. And so the work of building community, of loving the hurt, of reconciliation, of restoration is, no, is a work that no political party or politician or government can ever hope to do. This is the work that we, as selfless followers of Jesus, need to be participating in on a day-to-day basis, before, during, and after the election takes place. We can't wait for politicians to change the world. We can't wait and expect politicians or governments to legislate love. The early church really seemed to have this down. There were, uh, in the first three centuries after Christ, there were several major plagues that affected the Roman Empire. One that is said to have wiped out a quarter of the population of the Roman Empire, and another that's said to have wiped out between a third and a half of the citizens of Rome. And while the people of Rome fled Rome to escape the, uh, those plagues, the Christians who were in Rome, some of them there as slaves to the Roman people, stuck around. And those communities of Christians in the Roman Empire cared for the the people that were abandoned. They cared for the sick. They cared for the dying. It was a kind of early um, social welfare system. And historians estimate that as a result of the work that the Christians did in Rome at that time, that the Roman Empire was actually able to survive and to continue to thrive. And there was one emperor who actually took note of what the Christians did and tried to institute a similar type of social welfare system that completely failed, completely didn't work. Why is that? Because a government can only do so much. A government can't legislate love. The example of the early church is one of a group of committed followers of Jesus Christ who rolled up their sleeves to live out the selfless love of Jesus Christ, despite living in a time where political rulers not only were anti-Christian, but they were persecuted on a regular basis. And so we can never put our hope in the vote. We can't put our hope in politicians or in governments. For Jesus' followers, voting isn't something that we do every four years in hopes of changing the world. There will change that, be change that comes about as a result. But our hope for changing the world is in the little things that we do every single day to show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. We change the world by how we spend our money and by the causes that we support. We change the world by how much gas we use and the products that we choose to buy. We change the world through the single acts of love done in the name of Jesus Christ every single day. Jesus said it best in Matthew 25. And if you want to turn there with me, we can read through that as I close. Matthew 25, 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And so I want to leave you with these two questions this morning. When you vote, how will your vote reflect those kingdom values of Jesus Christ? And more importantly, what are the things that you're doing every single day for the least of these? The hungry, the thirsty, strangers, those who need clothing or shelter, the weak, the infirm, the least, the last, and the lost. Can I pray with you? Father, we thank you that you gave us an example of what selfless love truly is. We thank you that um, we can have a say in the leadership of this country, but we thank you even more that you live in us and that as you live in us, you call us to live in the world and to share your love with those around us on a daily basis. And we thank you that as a result of your love, And a result of your Holy Spirit living in and through us, we can have an even greater impact in the lives of those around us. And we ask as we uh, we leave here today and think about the vote tomorrow that you would give us a clear conscience about voting as we vote on uh, your kingdom values. But more importantly, Lord, that you would give us hope and love for those around us that we can change the lives of those who follow us. And as a result, we would see your kingdom come here on earth because we ask it in your precious name. Amen.